0: Favor is not fair, as we heard the other night, but the favor of God is a gift from God for his glory and his purpose. I want to give you part two of last night's message that the Lord birthed in my heart on Easter Sunday as I was looking at the gentleman that was sitting right over here. And if you were here Easter Sunday, you heard me say that you have to pray and thank God in advance for the miracle. I want to speak to you for a short time and then get you into this altar so that you might begin to water the seeds of faith. Tonight, watering the seeds of faith. Would you say that with me? Watering the seeds of faith. And I want you to turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 16, starting verse 7 through 13. It'll be on the screen for you. David is writing to the choir, to the leaders of worship, to the priests of the church. And we know this because he addresses this text to Asaph. Asaph was David's worship leader. Can you imagine being the worship leader of the psalmist of Israel? Can you imagine what it would be like to be the music pastor for the man who would take a harp into the throne room of Saul, and the Bible says that when David played his songs of praise, demons fled from Saul. However, in our Western mentality, we think, well, that's Saul's problem. He was demon-possessed. But the actual Aramaic is... The pressures of life would escape from Saul when David played his songs of praise. That's amazing. If we had another night, I would teach you on how do you encourage yourself in the Lord? How, when things seem to be so difficult, do we encourage ourselves in the Lord? Well, we do that through praise and worship because God inhabits the praises of his people. Asaph in himself is an amazing man he is from the tribe of Levi Levi was the third son of Jacob and Leah He's not only a priest, but he is a musician He is also believed to be an, a relative or somewhere in the lineage of the prophet Jonah Which is in and of itself amazing He's credited with writing psalms 50 psalms 70 and psalms 71 So you see that he's a staff pastor that has a great anointing himself And he writes to Asaph, and he's taking the time to encourage them in the midst of the ministry, in the midst of everyday life. David realizes that we all need encouragement. And so he's teaching them, hey, guys, you've got to water the seeds of faith. Well, let's read together. First Chronicles, chapter 16, verse 7 through 13. On that day, David gave to Asaph and his fellow Levites a song of thanksgiving to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. Sing to him, yes, sing his praises. Tell everyone about his wonderful deeds. Exalt in his holy name. Rejoice, you who worship the Lord. Search for the Lord and for his strength. Continually seek him. Remember the wonders he has performed, his miracles and the rulings he has given. You children of his servant Israel, you descendants of Jacob, and then I love it how he begins to explain to them You chosen ones. You are the chosen ones. You're the Levites. You've been gifted for a purpose is what he's telling them. You're not only just choir members, but you've been gifted for a purpose. And I love that. We've all been gifted for a purpose. Friends, I told pastor in the office that I truly believe that this church is sitting on one of the greatest outpourings of the Holy Spirit in the history of this church. I believe that with all my heart. And I believe what happened last night is God began to plant new dreams and visions into the lives of many of you. He began to plant seeds of hope and prosperity. And I heard you praying and crying out to God. And I went home, I drove home last night to Springfield, and the whole way there just giving God thanks. And this afternoon, I began to say, Lord, we all have dreams and goals that you're placing in our hearts. Things that we're believing for situations that are going to turn around. You must understand these promises that you received resurrection morning and last night are promises from God. They start out like seeds in your life. God plants them in your heart in this altar. There's always a period of waiting involved from the time that we pray to the time that we see the fulfillment of God's promise. Don't miss that. There's always time involved from the time that we pray until the time that we see the fulfillment of God's promise. That's called the trial of our faith. The trial of our faith. And this is when people get discouraged because as time goes on, it's easy to have faith in the beginning like last night when we laid here before God and the tears began to flow and God planted a dream in your life and everything is wonderful and it's easy to have faith at the end when you see the fulfillment of the promise. It's hard to have faith in the middle. When you're trusting God for the fulfillment of the promise. That's called a trial. A trial. Of our faith. And as I was driving back the other, yesterday or last night, the thought came to me, I wonder what it would be like to hear a conversation in heaven between the champions of God and God Himself. Wouldn't that be awesome? To hear a conversation between God and Mary. Talk about the trial of your faith. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, God. How are you? I'm pretty good, Lord. How are you? I'm doing good. Hey, God, uh, you got a minute? Yes, Mary, I, I got some time for you. God, when you sent the angel Gabriel to talk to me, he told me that you said I was highly favored. Yes, Mary, you're highly favored. Yes, Lord. And boy, that's been wonderful. And, and Lord, I, I, he also told me that I was going to have a child and that he would be the only begotten son. And his name will be the savior of the world. Yes, Mary, he, he was the savior of the world. Yeah, Lord, I understand all that. But God, you left some things out. Yes, Mary. See, God, you didn't tell me that when I had my son, it would be in a donkey's cave with goats, sheep, smelly animals. And my parents wouldn't be there for the birth of their first grandson. And you didn't tell me, Lord, that not only that, but after I had him, that we would be on the run for the next two and a half years because the king was trying to kill us. The trial of our faith. And Lord, you also left out, by the way, that I would have to watch my, only be, my firstborn son, not the only begotten, but my firstborn son, the only begotten of the father, but the firstborn son, drag across through the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem, And I had to watch people spit on him and beat him. And then I had to look up at that cross and hear him look down at me and hear him say, woman, behold, thy son. No, Lord, you left that out. And Lord, you also left out that when we took him off the cross, we'd be so poor, we would have to borrow a tomb from our next door neighbor, Joe of Arimathea. But, Lord, I understand why you left it out, because if you had told me, I wouldn't have gone a single day. I would have just said, no, thanks. You see, it's easy to have faith in the beginning, and it's easy to have faith in the end. It's hard to have faith in the middle. Oh, it's wonderful to cry out for purpose, and it's wonderful to cry out, Lord, have your way in my life. But it's difficult to walk it. And this is when people get discouraged and they give up. They start believing the negative thoughts. It's never going to happen. It's taking too long. Did you know that Satan has the ability to create a train of thought that so fits your way of thinking? You suppose it comes to your own line of reasoning, and these negative thoughts will pour into your life. And the moment that you bite on that negative thought, well, my wife doesn't love me anymore. My husband doesn't care for me. The moment you bite on a negative thought, Satan will be relentless and it'll just come over and over and over. It'll just be so overwhelming to the point that you want to just give up and give in. And throw your hands in the air and walk away. And usually, this devil will start with accusation. In fact, Revelation tells us that he is the accuser of the brethren and he accuses the brethren day and night. That accusing... It's meant to cause isolation for you to give up and give in. And that's when people walk away. But that doesn't mean the seed of the promise is still not good. No, that seed, that promise is laying dormant. It's still alive, has potential. But you have to do your part and start watering the seed. And the way you water it is by thanking God in advance. You can't wait until you receive the promise. You have to thank God that the answer is already on the way see maybe you're struggling with your health possibly the medical report doesn't look good don't talk about the way you feel now start saying lord thank you that i'm healthy thank you that i'm strong thank you that with long life you are sustaining me this is exactly what david was doing when he was telling the asaph and the choir tell everyone of his wonderful deeds his miracles his strength Have a thankful attitude, Asaph, no matter your situation, no matter where you are. Thank God in advance. Water the seeds of faith. That's just not being positive. It's watering the seeds of God's promise. See, when you thank God in advance for the answer, it not only waters the seed, but it strengthens your faith. This is what Abraham did. God placed a seed of promise in his heart that he would have a child with his wife, Sarah. But did you know it was 24 years until they actually saw their Isaac? 24 years of waiting for the promise. 24 years in the trial of his faith. And every voice said, it's not going to happen. And they could have very easily talked themselves out of the promise. But the Bible says in Romans 420, Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. One translation says that he gave God praise. Notice that when you give God praise, God gives you strength. And we're going to come back to this in a moment with Abraham and Sarah. But when when you give God praise, God gives you strength. I want you to say that with me. When I give God praise... Come on now, when I give God praise, God gives me strength. Say it again, when I give God praise, God gives me strength. I want you to say it now, as the child of God that you are, get it deep down in your spirit, shout it out. When I give God, he, God gives me, say it again, when I give God praise, God gives me strength. I want you to get that deep in your spirit. Notice that when you give God praise, he gives you strength. When you thank God in advance for the answer, that's what keeps you encouraged and that's what keeps you going. Listen, you're not going to stay strong in your faith by complaining. You're not going to stay strong in your faith and, and stay determined if you're always talking about how bad it really is. If you're always focusing on the negatives of your spouse, well, if she would just do this and if she would just do that, and if he would just do this and if he would just do that, what you're doing is you're glorifying the wrong thing. And you're making the problem greater than it has to be. No, no, you're not going to stay strong by by complaining. God, you promised me this baby, but it seems like I'm too old now. Oh, Abraham could have said that. And he could have said, God, you said you wanted me to be blessed, but my business is really slow. He could have said that too. God, you said you would bring me out of this trouble, but these people are so much stronger than I. No, no, why don't you take a... a Example from Abraham and switch over to giving God glory, switch over to praise. Business may be slow, but, Lord, I want to thank you that you could prosper me even in a desert. Lord, I want to thank you. These people are powerful, but you're the all-powerful. You're still Jehovah Jireh. You're still God Almighty. Praise makes your spirit strong. See, giving God praise keeps you energized and keeps you going. So often we think, well, I'll give God praise when the problem turns around. Or I'll give God praise when my business finally takes off. Or God, I'll give you praise when I get a good grade in the class because then I can praise you for the result. No, you won't. Because your human nature, your heart will grow hard because the difficulty it is to see the faith come through. The trial of our faith. And if you don't learn to thank God now, you won't have the strength to thank him when the miracle happens. Your heart will grow hard. I told you we'd go back to Abraham and Sarah. The Bible says that Abraham thanked God every morning. However, his wife Sarah got discouraged. In fact, she had a hard time believing it. When she heard the angel say that it was really the pre-incarnate Christ, the angel of the Lord came to Abraham. And whenever you see in Scripture... That it says the angel of the Lord, and there's not a pertaining name like Gabriel or Michael. You're speaking about the Theophany or the Christophany, the pre incarnate Christ. Jesus himself, prior to the flesh, shows up to Abraham. We know it's not God the Father because no man can see God's face and still and live. It's the same thing with when he wrestled with Jacob. It says he wrestled with the angel wrestled with Jacob. That was a pre incarnate Christ. Because it says, Jacob looked into the face of the angel and said, I will not let you go till you bless me. He's looking into Jesus' eyes. And we know it wasn't God the Father because no man could see the Father and yet live. How many understand that? And so, the pre incarnate Christ shows up to speak to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, you're going to have a child. And his wife is sitting in the tent listening. And she goes, oh, Really? Really? In fact, you need a story, and she says, should I have this blessing now that my husband is old and wore out? Well, you ladies understand that, been married a long time. In fact, in the King James Version, it goes on to say, she says, how will I explain this to the girls? (laughs) In other words, she's saying, they're not going to buy it. It's going to be awkward. She's in the middle of her trial of her faith. She didn't thank God in advance, and so she decided to take things into her own control. And she says, well, Abraham, maybe God didn't mean me personally. Maybe he met our household. So I want you to go sleep with Hagar, my Egyptian handmaiden. You go ahead and do that. Oh, it's okay with me and Abraham being the godly man that he is. Oh, you caught it. He said, okay, babe, if that's really what you want, I just want to make you happy. And he goes and he has this affair with Hagar. She gets pregnant. Now, his wife Sarah is fine with it until the baby comes or her own baby. And and the Bible tells us that they're having a celebration. And Ishmael, who Abraham loves, is a teenager now. 24 years has passed, and Isaac has come along, and they're bickering, and Sarah is angry, and she says, get that woman and that child out of my house. Kick them out. Now, Abraham loves Ishmael, been a son all these years. And he kicks him out of the house along with Hagar. And the Bible says they go up into the northern regions, and they're under a tree. And the pre-incarnate Christ, the angel of the Lord, appears to Hagar. And he says, Hagar, you are he is not the child that is chosen. I don't need any help in choosing what I'm going to do, but I'm still going to be with your son. But he'll be as wild as the wild donkeys. He'll be as numerous as the sands of the desert. No man shall restrain him. And then he says to her, and by the way, Hagar, I'll be your husband. Wow. And historians tell us that Hagar and Ishmael go up to the northern region and he becomes the father of the Arab nation. Now do you see why they're angry? Because they have, in their eyes, a legitimate claim to Jerusalem through Abraham. Because I'm the firstborn, My father was Abraham. And it all came about. We would not have the Arab-Israeli dispute if Sarah could have learned to thank God in advance. If she could have said, Lord, I'm holding on to the promise. And I'm not going to take it into my own hands. You see, when you take things into your own hands you get an Ishmael and not an Isaac. Does that mean God won't love your Ishmael? No, God will love your Ishmael. But the blessing won't rest with them. And so we must learn to thank God in advance. What keeps us strong is getting up every morning and saying, God, I want to thank you that all my dreams are coming to pass. But I don't see it, Pastor. Lord, I want to thank you that all my dreams are coming to pass. Lord, I want to thank you as you're driving to work. I want to thank you that all the problems are turning around. In the back of your mind, Satan's going to say, nothing's changing. Yes, I want to thank God that all my problems are turning around because the Bible says his word is yay and amen. And my God cannot lie. My grandmother used to tell me all the time in Spanish. She'd say, mijo, you know, there are certain things God can't do. And I would say, oh, no, grandma, God can do everything. She'd say, oh, no, no, baby, there are certain things he can't do. And I'd say, well, grandma, what, what can God not do? He cannot lie. He cannot leave you alone. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He cannot go back on his promises. His promises are yea and amen. Oh, you can stand on his promises, son. And if he whispered it in and planted it in your spirit, you water the seed of faith. It shall come to pass. Thank you that you are bigger, Lord, than all of my obstacles. I'm sure Abraham got up every morning and he wanted to be tempted to be discouraged. The negative thoughts must have come, you know. Come on, Abraham. You're an old man. Oh, can't you see how Satan would create that train of thought? You're an old man. You've been waiting five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. I'm sure you heard God wrong. Is there anybody here that's been waiting for a promise for five years and you're still waiting? Anybody? Can I see your hand? Come on. Lift them high so people realize they're not alone. How about 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? Yeah. If Abraham would have dwelled and listened to those thoughts going around worried, thinking, well, maybe I am too old. Maybe I didn't hear God right. Maybe I am wasting my time. He would have given up on God. But the Bible tells us in Romans 4.19, he considered not the weakness of his own body, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. Wow. He considered not the weakness of his own body, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. You see, the key to having unshakable faith tomorrow morning, because it's easy to have faith when we're all here. But the key to having unshakable faith tomorrow morning when you're out in the field, planting your corn, saying, Lord, it better rain. The key to having unshakable faith is to not consider your circumstances, but instead consider your unshakable God. Your circumstances like Sarah's womb may look barren. You may look at a marriage situation and think, Lord, this is barren. There's nothing there. You may look at your situation and say, well, Lord, I- I'm all alone. They'll take a lesson from Abraham and say, I'll not focus on my weakness or the deadness of the situation. I will not allow negative things in my mind or what the so-called experts are telling me that it, to influence my faith. No, I have unshakable faith. Instead, I will focus on the on my big God. It's a well-known fact. That what you glorify, you will magnify. Hear it again. What you glorify, you will magnify. And if you're always glorifying how negative it is, if you're always glorifying the negative things in your children or the negative things in your spouse or the negative things on your job, you're going to begin to magnify them in your eyes. If you want to magnify something, magnify how great your God is. Lord, I want to thank you that you're still God Almighty, Lord, I want to thank you that you're sitting at the right hand of the Father and you've sent the Holy Spirit as the mirror image of Jesus Christ on planet Earth until you come again, Lord. Oh, here's the key, friend. The way you stay in faith day after day, month after month, year after year, for 24 years like Abraham, you get up every morning and you give God glory. You give God praise. Hear it again. When you give God praise, God gives you the strength to believe that what he did promise will come to pass. It will come to pass. And all through the day, the negative thoughts are going to try and get us to give up on our dream. Here's the key. Every time you're tempted to worry, let that be a reminder to thank God in advance. In fact, when those negative thoughts come, you might even say something like this. Hey, devil, I want to thank you for reminding me that you're worried about this. I've learned to do that. When the negative thoughts come, you're not going to pay the bills this month. The love offerings weren't very loving. It's not going to happen. Devil, I want to thank you for reminding me that you're a nervous wreck, that I'm running after God's purpose. I'm running after God's plan. You're a nervous wreck that we're about to fulfill the promises of God. That's called counterpunching the devil. When the devil whispers, you're never going to get well. Your daughter will never be healed. You'll never meet the right man. You'll never meet the right woman. You'll never get the advancement. You'll never do this. You'll never do that. Instead of worrying, turn it around and immediately say, Father, I want to thank you that you're restoring health back to me. Lord, I want to thank you that your shield protects me and protects my family. When you do that, you counterpunch the devil. Lord, I want to thank you that when I repented of my sin, your blood that was spilled at the cross covers me and your mercy and your grace is greater than my need. Lord, I want to thank you that the path of the righteous is getting brighter and brighter and brighter. Lord, I want to thank you that you are my best days lie ahead because I'm a child of the almighty God. My God is living in me. He's got his hand of protection on me. The favor of the Lord is pouring out on my family, and I'm going to give you praise in advance. If you believe that, can we clap our hands and praise him for it? Yeah. Yes, Lord. So listen to it again. Thank God for the promise before you see the answer to the promise. Thank God for the promise before you see the answer to the promise. Write it down. In fact, let's say it together. Thank God for the promise before you see the answer to the promise. Say it again. Thank God for the promise before you see the answer to the promise. Why, Pastor? Because God is still looking for people that could praise him before the walls of Jericho come down. God is wanting somebody to praise him before Isaac comes. Can you praise him and thank him before the healing, before the relationship is healed, before the legal situation turns around? So many times when the thoughts of worry come, we start begging God, you know. We'll beg him. In 30 years of ministry, all over the country, I'll hear people Uh, for instance next sunday i'll be in dallas texas the sunday after that i can't tell you where we'll be but and people will come to the altars and they're just oh lord please god please lord please lord and i look at them and i realize listen begging doesn't get god's attention once you pray and ask god to bring the promise to pass you ask god to heal you you ask him to restore a relationship. From then on, you don't have to ask God again. He heard you the first time. In fact, the book of Daniel tells us in the ninth chapter and 23rd verse that Daniel prayed and the angel Gabriel said, the moment you prayed, God heard your prayer. From then on, you don't need to ask God one more time. No, every time you begin to think about it, you should thank God the answer is on the way. Lord, I want to thank you that you heard me last night. And I know the answers on the way. In your timing, Lord, you're putting it all together. I was talking to somebody before the service, and the thought occurred to me if you heard the message on uh, Easter morning about Nehemiah, do you know that Nehemiah didn't find out what really happened until he got to heaven? He had no idea that he was used in prophecy, he wasn't a prophet. He he, he wasn't a pastor. He, He wasn't an evangelist. He wasn't an apostle. He was a man who was in captivity in Persia who loved God and said, Lord, use me to save my city. I'm just an ordinary guy. Take me from ordinary to extraordinary. And the favor of God lifted him up and set him right smack in the throne room with Artaxerxes and Esther for such a time as this. And yet he had no idea. That in the future, what he did would allow the Messiah to be the fulfillment of prophecy from Daniel and all the way through the eons of time. That Jesus was riding into a donkey be, on a donkey simply because an ordinary man who most people would say should have been in jail somewhere said, Lord, use me. So don't you ever dare say God can't use me because we're country folks. Or God can't grow our church because of this reason or that reason. No, let's thank him in advance. Lord, I want to thank you the revival is coming to Carthage. Lord, I want to thank you that the revival is coming to Lamar. That our church is going to be overwhelmed and filled as we fulfilled your purpose and plan. Oh, he heard you the first time. And yet many will say, well, God, please get my children back on track. God, please cause them to straighten up. How about switching over to praise? Lord, I believe you heard me the first time, and I want to thank you. My child is straightening up. But, Pastor, I don't see it. They're still out there in the nightclubs and the bars. They're still running. Lord, I want to thank you that my child is going to straighten up. I'm going to thank you they will fulfill their destiny. I want to thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit of God is going to seek after them. Lord, open their eyes that they would see. Somebody pray a God-sized prayer and say, Lord, I want to thank you that the destiny and the call of God is on my child's life. I want to thank you, Lord. That's called thanking him in advance, watering the seeds of faith. In Matthew 15, it tells the story of a desperate woman who was so consumed by her daughter's need. Her daughter was demon possessed. And the Bible says in Matthew 15 and verse 21, then Jesus left Galilee and went north to a region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word, almost like he's ignoring her. Then the disciples urged him and said to them, tell her to go away. She's bothering us with all the begging. Oh, I want you to see it like I see it. The pastoral staff said, she keeps coming by the office all the time, driving us crazy. She's begging and begging and begging. God, Jesus, just get rid of her. And I looked at that, and I thought, Lord, I, I don't understand. Well, you read a little further. It says it's at this point the woman realizes her begging is not getting her anywhere, and she changes her approach and went from begging to worship. Oh, don't miss God's mode of operation, friend. Because verse 25 says, but she came and worshiped him. She went from begging to to believing don't be a beggar be a believer don't be a beggar be a believer and in verse 28 jesus says dear woman your faith is great your request is granted and her daughter was instantly healed now in my office i'm sitting there at my desk and i out loud ask the holy spirit I've never heard an audible voice, by the way, from the Holy Spirit. It's an urgency, I feel, or a direction. And I said, Holy Spirit, that, that's just so callous. That just seems so mean. And I just felt the Holy Spirit just lead me. And he and it was almost like he's saying, no, Randy, it, it wasn't callous. I was trying to get her to activate her faith. Scooby-Doo moment. Huh? And it just struck me. He's trying to get her to water the seed of her faith. You see, each one of us on our day of salvation, we receive a measure of faith. Oh, God will give you a measure of faith. Sad thing is, some people are satisfied with the measure. Just enough to get them through the week. J- just enough to, to get them down the road what you do with your measure of faith is up to you you've got to build that faith you got to water that faith that's where tithing comes in do you really think that the lights in heaven are not going to turn on if you don't tithe i mean really I heard a preacher one time on TV say, oh, God needs your tithe. God doesn't need my tithe. He's almighty God, but he wants you to extend and he wants you to understand, trust him and build your faith. Do you really think heaven's going to shut down if you don't give your 10%? No. But is it going to affect your life? Are you going to find yourself in the trial of your faith and maybe give in and give up? Are you satisfied with a measure of faith? So that's why he asked you to tithe. Can you trust me to live on the 90? See if I won't open the windows of heaven to water the seeds, to pour out a blessing on you because you're walking with me. Oh, friends, friends, The Holy Spirit whispered and He said, No, I was trying to get her to move from begging to worship. Don't be a beggar, be a believer. Would you say that to yourself very softly? Just to yourself. In fact, I want you to say your name, and then you say, Don't be a beggar, be a believer. I'll say my name, and I'll do it to myself. Ready? Let's go. Randy, don't be a beggar, be a believer. Randy, don't be a beggar, be a believer. Believe the God of heaven. And once you pray about a certain situation, then switch over to praise. My son, Christian, who's celebrating a birthday tonight, I'll be taking him out tomorrow for lunch. He just turns 28, and uh, he had to work all night. I was going to take him, bring him here, then take him. He said, no, Dad, I got to work tonight. But when he turned 15, my wife came to me, and she said, hey, guess what? I was praying, and the Lord said, we need to take the coffee can. We have a big coffee can. Uh, that we throw change in and money and stuff to, you know, for middle projects. She said, We need to start saving to buy Christian a good truck, uh, a used Tundra, so that he could have it through graduation and on into college. I said, Why? She said, Because I said so. <laughs> yes, ma'am. And then she laughed and said, No, because the Lord laid it on my heart. I said, Okay, babe. So we did. And we were able to get him a An amazing deal, and we got a great little truck that he's still driving. Took it through his master's program all the way through Missouri State University. And problem was that set the precedent for our our other sons. And uh, Morgan and Quentin, they said to me, they said, hey, Dad, when we turn 16, are you getting us a car? And I swallowed hard, you know. I said, well, you can't do for one and not the other. They wanted to get on the record early, you know. Well, yes, uh, we'll do the best we can. And by the grace of God, we were able to do that. Just saving It's amazing when you don't go to Starbucks, you go to McDonald's instead for coffee. Amen? Yeah. I love that dollar coffee at McDonald's. Now, my daughter Ashton, the baby, she was watching the whole thing. And do you know she never once asked me, Dad, when I turned 16, are you getting me a car? She never once asked me. She'd been watching the whole thing. And then I found out later what really happened. You see, she and my wife were in the bathroom of of our master bedroom. I'm not allowed to go in that bathroom. I go go to the hall bathroom. How many men know what I mean? Yeah. Because there's towels in there I can't touch. Those are the good towels. And they have all that stuff, those creams and lotions and bondo and all that. I don't know what they do in there. (laughs) All that shellacking and spraying and stuff and tweaking out the lashes, right? And then they come to bed, and you go, whoa, what happened? You changed. But they're in there doing that thing, bondoing and shellacking and stuff. And, and so my wife leaned over to Ashton, and she said, Ashton, I've been praying, and I'm going to share with your dad later that I'm going to start saving, and when it's time for you to get your car, she's whispering. She said she whispered it to her. When it's time for you to, when you turn 16, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my car and I'm going to get a new car, so don't worry. And the reason Ashton never came to the father and asked me is because she heard the whispers in the secret place. My question to you is, have you been in the secret place with the helpmate? To hear him whisper, I've already got this. I've already got this. And it affected her so much that she began to thank God in advance. She didn't know she was, but she began to thank God in advance. She would say things like, Dad, don't let the boys eat McDonald's in my car. They stink. And they would say, this isn't your car. This isn't a used car. She said, it'll be used by the time I get it. Dad, don't let them put their sweaty feet on the... And she would just drive them crazy. Crazy. We'd pick them up from school, and if they were a football practice or basketball, Dad, make them wipe themselves down before they get in. This is gross. This and it drove her brothers nuts. Yet suppose she'd have come to me even after hearing the whispers in the secret place from the help me. And suppose she'd have come every day and said, Hey Dad, you gonna get me a car? Hey dad, what color is it gonna be? Hey dad, what is it gonna happen? Hey dad, did you really mean it? Hey, dad, you did it for them or you can do it for me? Hey, dad, hey, dad. I would look at her and say, Ashton, don't you trust me? Didn't you see what I did for your brothers? Didn't you hear your mother, the helpmate, who whispered and said, I got this? And don't you know, that's how God must feel. That's how the heavenly father must feel. That's how the Holy Spirit must feel. When you you hear the promise, you've got it in your heart. You've come to the altar. He's whispered it in you. And then every day you come back to him and say, God, but do you you, you really mean it, Lord? Are you really going to do this, God? And he's going to say, don't you trust me? Don't you know, if I did it for that group of Jews out there in the desert, I'll do it for you. The wild bunch that has been grafted in. Do you know that God supplied 16 tons of manna for the children of Israel in the wilderness when they came out of Egypt? 16 tons of manna, 11 million gallons of water. He, if it happened today, it would take two freight trains, long, six miles long, at the cost of $6 million a day. God didn't do it for one day. God did it for 14,600 days. That's how long 40 years turns out to be. And we come into Oakden Church tonight and say, Lord, can you meet my need? Can you give us a revival? Can you heal my body? Can you save my children? And he's going to say, don't you trust me? I was the wheel within the wheel. I was the fourth man in the fire. I'm still the same God that said, Let there be light, and there was light. Can you thank Him in advance? Can you lift up your voice in just a moment in this altar and say, Lord, I want to thank you that you are Almighty God? Though thanking is a whole lot more than begging. And when you praise God out of a truly thankful heart, when you are constantly giving God praise, telling him how much you love him, praising him for his greatness, telling him out of an attitude of gratitude how proud you are to be his child, it tells God, I know you're going to do what you promised you're going to do. It tells God, I know the victory is already won. It tells God, I know the right person is being dispatched. It tells God, the hand of favor is on me and the presence of God is moving in my life. Oh, church. Understand that God's promises are yay and amen. I want the musicians to come quickly. I've got to stop right here. <clears throat> Do you know what I've learned, guys? There's lots of things I could live without. Now, there's lots of things I want. But there's lots of things I could live without. I was sharing with a pastor that I mow my in-law's yard, and they got 10 acres, i got 5 acres, and the, uh, the lawnmower just blew up, so we need a new lawnmower and riding lawnmower. And there's, there's ones I want. I'm probably going to end up with a push mower. I'll stay, I'll stay fit, amen. And I've learned there's lots of things we can live without. Like, we really don't need a 70-inch television. But some of us want it. I mean, I'd like to have a new GMC truck. Old Shanita's out there. She's doing great. 347,000 miles. she needs need a lot of things. There's lots of things I could live without, but do you know what I can't live without? Don't try to live without your praise. The battle may be tough, but keep praising. People do you wrong, keep praising. The report doesn't look good, keep praising. Finances go down, keep praising. I've learned as long as I have a praise coming out of my mouth, the battle's not over. I've learned in 30 years of ministry that God won't let a praiser be defeated. <coughs> in this life, there are a lot of things we could live without. Don't live without your praise. Don't lose your praise. When I say that, I'm reminded of Jim Tuber. Pastor of mine, pastor friend of mine, pastor in Lee Summit, Missouri, he called me and goes, hey, my brother-in-law, Jim, is in the hospital. He's dying of lung cancer. Where are you? I said, I just landed in Springfield. I was preaching a large conference. He said, can you come right now to Mercy Hospital? He's here. And I said, sure. He goes, oh, Randy, by the way, He wants to get a heavenly prayer language. He wants his prayer language. He wants to speak in a new language, his prayer language, before he gets to heaven so he knows how to pray when he gets there. I chuckled. I said, well, that's not really doctrinally sound, but, but I'll come and we'll pray because that's what he wants. Have you ever been in a situation where you knew you had to have a word of encouragement, but you had absolutely nothing? And the whole way there I'm saying, Lord, I need a word of comfort, of exhortation, of sensitive counsel, nothing. I got in the elevator, and I headed up. Jim's wife met me uh, there in the little lobby area, and I said, well, how's he doing? Well, he's not doing good, Pastor. His lungs are filling up with liquid, and um, he doesn't have much longer, but he's longing to speak in a heavenly prayer language. And I said, well, listen, I... I really don't know what to tell him. She said, don't worry, God will give it to you. And we walked in, and I felt so insignificant because there is Jim Tuber. This man had served God his entire life. He's laying there with tubes down his throat, in his nose. And I walked up to him, and he smiled at me. Literally drowning in his own liquids, he's smiling at me. And he's trying to talk with that tube in his mouth. And I said, no, no, Jim, don't, don't, don't talk, don't talk. And I said, now, Jim, they asked me to come pray for you because you said you wanted a prayer language. And he kind of nodded his head. And the Holy Spirit whispered to me, don't have him seek tongues. Have him seek more of Jesus. Just praise me." So I looked down at him, and I grabbed his hand, and I said, Jim, can you hear me? And I heard him say yes, talking through that, too. I said, Jim, I don't want you to seek tongues, or I don't want you to seek any manifestations. I just want you to seek more of Jesus. What he said changed my ministry forever. He looked at me with tears, and he tried to sit up, and he said, yes. He's standing over there. And the presence of the Lord filled that room, and my knees began to buckle. I told you the other night that Jesus said the Spirit of the Lord is up on me. The very first time I experienced the transference of the anointing, it scared me so bad I didn't know what to do. Now, after 30 years, it scares me when I don't feel it upon me. And the presence of the Lord so filled that room that I went down to my knees and I could see his wife Eunice laying on the other side under the bed and she was just crying out to God. And I could hear Jim in the bed saying, I love you. I love you. And I knew he was talking to Jesus. I love you. And I listened. And I stood up. I said, Eunice. And she put her ears down to him and she said, Randy, his He's speaking in a heavenly language. It's hard to hear because he's got the tube in his mouth. And then he's tried to pull the tube out. You know. And it took the alarms off. The nurses started running in. They said, no, 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 no. And he said, I don't. And he started, and they, they got, but you could hear him under his breath. Just praying in that heavenly prayer language. Big old tears. He said he's standing right over there. Kissed his forehead. We prayed together. Got back in old Shanita and drove home. My phone rang in my pocket, so I pulled it out. And my friend Bill Newby said, Randy, he's gone to be with Jesus. You see, when it's your time, he said to come get you himself. The three in the fire, he came and got on himself. That's my Savior. I want you to play softly for me, guys. Don't lose your praise. Let me end with this. One of my favorite stories in all the Bible is found in 1 Samuel 17. I won't prolong it. The Philistines had mustered to battle the children of Israel over a valley that Israel already owned. And the Philistine giant, Goliath, for 40 days, shouted out to them, I'm bigger than you, I'm stronger than you, I'm going to defeat you. And the Bible says for 40 days, they heard it night and day, night and day, night and day. And I got to thinking, Holy Spirit, if he's really all that big and bad, why didn't he attack on the first day? If he really was so imposing, why didn't he attack on the first day? And I began to realize that Satan understands the power of the warfare of the mind. And he knew that if he could just convince them that he was bigger than they are, that they would not even pick up a bow. They wouldn't even pick up a sword. They would just lay their weapons down and walk right into bondage. Be slaves. And do you know that Satan does the same thing to you in the middle of the trial of your faith? You're never going to make it. It's not going to happen. I'm bigger than you are. Your church will never grow. And you hear it the first thing in the morning. They hate you on your job. They don't pay you enough. You can't tithe. And you hear it when you go to bed. You're never going to lose the weight. You're never going to get healthy. as it goes over and over and over and over in your mind. And he knows if he can convince you. Interesting that they're fighting over a battle. They're, they're battling over a, a, a valley that belongs to Judah. Judah means praise. So in essence, Goliath is stealing their praise. Oh, some of you just caught it. The devil's trying to steal your praise. Now, this thing about 30 or 40 days is very interesting because psychiatrists and psychologists tell us that it takes 30 to 40 days to create a habit. So do you really think it's an accident that he's there for 40 days? If he can convince them to stop praying, if he can get them to stop sleeping and and, and restlessness, ruin their sleep, he's got them. Oh, I could track this thing about 30, 40 days through the Bible. There's another man named Daniel who they tried to get to stop praying for 30 days. The devil knows he can create a habit. You stop coming to church for a month, you're not coming again. (coughs) And it's amazing how, well, don't worry, we'll go next week. Oh, we'll go next week. Oh, and 30 days go by before you know it, and you're not even in church anymore. You never intended it. And you lay your weapons down. What weapons do I have? The weapons of a wolf, the helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit, shod my feet with righteousness. Before long, your thought process is the bondage. You don't know, I'm so depressed. The Bible never talks about depression, but it says put on a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. So we're going to praise him. And it's amazing that David catches this. And as he runs to the battlefield, he starts thanking God in advance. And he screams at Goliath. Before Goliath even comes down, he's screaming at him. And he's telling him, today, today, I am going to knock you down. I am going to kill you. Well, let's read it. God will never let a praiser be defeated. And Goliath, today, I'm going to cut your head off. And I'm going to feed your body to the birds. And everyone will know in Israel that there is a God in heaven. He's thanking God in advance. That's the power of praise. I want you right now to stand. And I want you to forget the person to the left and to the right. And I want you to begin to thank God in advance for what he's about to do. Just begin to thank him in advance. You say I don't know how to do it, Randy. Yes, you do. Just right now, wherever you are, just close your eyes and just lift your hands and say, "Lord, I want to thank you that the healing is coming to our church." Lord, I want to thank you that there's miracles that are going to begin to flow in our church. Lord, I want to thank you that my purpose is to worship you and to serve you. Come on, all over the room, just begin to thank him in advance. Don't lose your praise. Don't lose your praise. Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, that there's miracle after miracle that are about to happen in this altar. In the name of Jesus. The anxiety is about to go, Lord. Stress is about to go. Doubt, intimidation are about to go. Devil, you cannot get me to to, to not praise the Lord. Praise causes God to go to work. Praise breaks the chains that are holding me back. Praise opens up a supernatural door. Praise brings the prayer of favor into my life. I want you to begin to praise Him. Just praise Him. Yes, Lord. Everyone sing it. Come on. Just sing it. Just praise Him. well Randy I don't feel like praising him then offer up a sacrifice of praise just praise him. Up, the God. come on Austin praise him up, that's it praise him someone's going to get healed while you praise him and and Jeremy's going to give us a drum war cry to go out with how's that fit the pressure on you alright and while he's doing that enjoy him and love on your neighbor a little bit more okay Amen.